Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Thursday, March 25. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Jan Fran. Hey, Jan. Hello, Tom. How are you going today? Yeah, good. A very interesting briefing topic today, freezing your eggs. Yeah. We've seen about a 20% increase as opposed to last year. Wow. And a steady increase as the last few years have gone on. 20% in one year? That sounds huge. It is a big jump. Yeah, we're going to speak to Linda Mariano, who's... Well, she's just done it. Being reduced to a measurement of your womanhood and how good or bad you were on a scale that existed kind of in your head, but also in a biological clock sense. Yeah, it gets pretty emotional, that conversation. It's a pretty big one. I think most women have probably thought about it at some point, but to actually go ahead and do it, I think it's going to be a very interesting chat. Yeah, have you ever thought about doing it? Uh, yes, I have to. This is a, <laughs> it's a big question <laughs> here is, for your Thursday morning. Very um, personal. <laughs> yeah. I have, you know, um, but I, and I did look into it. I remember doing a story about it and I just thought to myself, it actually cost a lot more than what I thought it did. It was a little bit more involved than what I thought it was. You are injected with hormones. Um, and then there's no guarantee at the end that the eggs will thaw okay and be mm. usable. So for all those reasons... I sort of decided not to really go down that path, but definitely thought about it. I'd be interested if um, to hear, you know, why Linda decided to do it, what was the instigator. Yeah, and we'll get into all those other details as well about the rates of success and how it actually works. That's on the briefing in just a moment. First, here are the big stories of today. Well, there's a growing expectation that the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is about to move the scandal-plagued Christian Porter and Linda Reynolds out of their ministry portfolios. I think Australians, particularly Australian women, are entitled to feel a bit cynical about why it has taken so long. Uh, I think it's taken so long because uh, he realises this is a problem for him. So that's Labor's Penny Wong uh, saying the changes are long overdue on the ABC. Yeah, now this story is on the front page of the Australian newspaper today. Uh, A number of well-known political journalists and good sources within the coalition are reporting that Attorney General Christian Porter and Defence Minister Linda Reynolds are expected to be moved aside. Um, This is after they were both engulfed in sexual assault scandals. Now, just to recap, Christian Porter has been accused of raping a woman in 1988. Linda Reynolds has been heavily criticised for mishandling sexual assault allegations brought forward by staffer Brittany Higgins and also for calling her a lying cow after Brittany went public with her story. Both Christian Porter and Linda Reynolds have been on medical leave for the last few weeks. There's been questions around their future. Yeah, so the problem for Christian Porter and and what will likely be used as the reason to move him aside um, is that the defamation action he's taken against the ABC uh, creates a perceived conflict of interest with his role as Attorney General, the chief lawmaker in the country. He's expected to hold on to the industrial relations portfolio, though, so he'll still be in Cabinet. And the justification for moving Linda Reynolds aside from the Defence Ministry is her health problems, her heart problem that's got her on leave at the moment. Yeah, and Scott Morrison was still saying yesterday um, that he was considering how to reorder his Cabinet after weeks of scandals and that he's actually getting advice here from the Solicitor General. I'll make a determination and I'll make an announcement at that time. Yeah, and in other federal politics news, um, we're getting a sense of what the JobKeeper cliff is going to actually look like in terms of the number of people affected. So that's going to end next week. And the Treasury Secretary revealed yesterday that 150,000 people are set to lose their jobs once that subsidy is wound back. 
A New South Wales politician accused of rape has denied the allegation. Yeah, Labor's Shadow Minister for Women, Trish Doyle, made the allegations in Parliament yesterday, saying a sitting MP had raped a sex worker in the Blue Mountains 18 months ago and there's a police investigation into it. Yeah, now Nationals MP for the Upper Hunter, Michael Johnson, last night issued a statement. Um, He identified himself as the man accused of the assault. He said, quote unquote, any investigation will conclude I am an innocent party. Now he's taken leave and he says that he will cooperate fully with police in their inquiries. Um, I should say no charges have been laid at this point. And the sun is out. It is. It's good news. Mm. But look, the flood crisis does continue. Um, A massive military-backed flood recovery will get underway today in New South Wales. Um, And this comes after two deaths were confirmed following floods across the East Coast. The news of these two deaths came out yesterday as the rain eased and the sun came out in some of the hardest-hit parts of New South Wales, um, particularly along the Hawkesbury River near Sydney, where some communities are still cut off. Yeah, authorities had been alerted to a man trapped in his car in floodwaters in northwest of Sydney early yesterday. Uh, by the afternoon, authorities had discovered the body of a 25-year-old man. This is incredibly sad. Um, he's a Pakistani national. Uh, he hired a Toyota on his first day on the job and he was actually on the phone to triple zero for 44 minutes before his phone went silent. We extend our heartfelt condolences uh, to all the loved ones of of that person. New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian there. Yeah, and the body of a second man missing since Monday was recovered from the Gold Coast hinterland where there'd been severe flash flooding. The Defence Force, the Rural Fire Service and Rescue New South Wales will today be working together as the cleanup gets underway. Uh, this is along the New South Wales north coast and communities there experienced a once-in-a-century flood. We've mm. been telling you all week. And the first Australian-made coronavirus vaccines have hit the road to be distributed around the country. The doses were loaded into trucks at the CSL Melbourne plant yesterday. That plant's going to be pretty important over the next few yeah, months. Yeah, very busy plant, that one. <laughs> yeah, so more than 800,000 doses of the drug have been approved there by the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Yes, they'll be administered um, to those in phase 1B of the vaccine rollout. So just a reminder, 1B includes adults over 70, healthcare workers that weren't vaccinated in phase 1A, Um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders over the age of 55 and also any adults with specified medical conditions. It's good news. It's good news all around that we're producing them here in Australia. Just regarding our timeline, um, I know the Health Department Secretary, Brendan Murphy, was before a Senate committee yesterday and he basically said that producing this vaccine locally is essential, especially given that there are indications Europe could further tighten vaccine controls. They've blocked vaccines coming to Australia before. Um, But he also did say that early predictions of vaccinating 4 million people by the end of March, not going to happen. Not going to happen. And there are fears global trade could be um, very severely disrupted after a massive container ship uh, got stuck in the Suez Canal. Yeah, so tugboats worked overnight to try and free this giant container ship that was stuck in the canal. And it is one of the busiest well, one of the world's busiest trade routes with 10% of world trade running through that canal every year. Yeah, the pictures are crazy. This this ship is just kind of jammed across the Suez Canal. I mean, the fear is that the jam could lead to a rise in oil prices as supplies to Europe are delayed. Yeah, it was on his way from China to the Netherlands. It ran aground after being blown into a sandbank in a windstorm. All right, Jam, we'll catch you tomorrow. Katrina Blouse is joining us as we look into freezing your eggs. I wonder what mum thinks of me freezing my eggs. Oh my God, 
It's good. It's good, Linda. I'm very proud of you. You're old chook. <laughs> old chook. I hope that will make a good baby. That's Linda Mariano talking to her mum.、Uh, at 36 years old, she's decided to see a fertility specialist and freeze her eggs. Egg freezing is one of the very Few ways that we've ever been able to say to a woman, "This is positive. This is a fantastic thing. You can take control of your fertility." It's not a guarantee of pregnancy, but it is a a wonderful insurance policy. So Linda's telling her personal story there in a new podcast called Tough Love, and it grapples with one of the toughest questions for modern women: What happens when your career or your love life isn't in sync with your body clock? Yeah, it's a fascinating. Question and an issue to unpack. So today on the briefing, freezing your eggs—is it really the insurance policy to deal with that tough question? And when people talk about that ticking clock, this is what they actually mean. By the age of forty, your chance of getting pregnant in any monthly cycle is around five percent. To put that in context, at the age of thirty, it's twenty percent. Yeah, and so that's getting pregnant. Then the chance of having a miscarriage is also much higher as you get older. After forty-five, it's fifty-three percent. So let's find out what made Linda. Freeze her eggs and how it's been going. She's、um, my dear old Triple J colleague,、uh, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us on the briefing. What made you do this? I just remember one day talking to a couple of my girlfriends, and we were like, "Well, if we just did this," and there was a couple of us kind of considering it at the same time. We were like, "If we just kind of did this, and it was off our to-do list, would it make our lives easier? Because it would be one less thing that we would have to think about." And worry about.、We、and often, the logical answer was yes. We often, as women, you know, we we try and make hay while we're in our twenties and early thirties with our career, and then we get to a point where we're like, you know, like we've we've got to get cracking. You know, we have everyone around us asking us about、oh, when you're planning、yeah. to have kids. What was that thought process like for you of that whole biological clock business? It was only in the last couple of years, I think. Because my partner and I, Magnus, are so. I guess it's that really romantic thing of being like, I found the person that I would like to procreate with, and therefore <laughs> all these questions are now really meaningful. And if this doesn't work out, I'm going to be a bit upset. <laughs> That's what it was, I think. And so, all of a sudden, in the last couple of years, it was like, oh, I actually do think I want to have a. Baby with this person, and if I do, we kind of need to get moving on that. You talk about、um, having option A taken away from you, and then you just got to grab option B and kick the shit out of it. <laughs> <Exactly> . Was <laughs> that the hardest part, making the decision rather than going through the actual process? Making the decision, I think, was actually the best, easiest thing because it was the lead up to that that sucked. It was the, oh my god, the timeline is out. When are we going to have kids? How am I going to do this? I'm going to be so old. I'm not even going to be able to conceive. All of that stuff was really hard. And then, as soon as I spoke to someone that was like, actually. Here are some steps where you can take control of it, and you'll probably be okay. It was like, oh God, this is just another task. I can do this. I'm pragmatic. I can get this done. And then I think the actual process physically was really smooth. 
you go in there and there's a stranger putting an ultrasound probe up your vagina. It's fine. <laughs> that know. sounds amazing. <laughs> it's did it Did it make you feel really moody though? This was the thing. It was like all of that physical stuff was actually fine, but it did make me emotional at times, but I don't think it was the hormones more than the fact that for the first time in my life, I was being assessed on something that I couldn't control. Mm. It's the one thing that you're like, I don't know how I'm going to measure up in this case scenario. Tell us about those moments, Linda. What what heard about them? How did you feel in those moments? What really got you? Being confronted by a number or being reduced to a measurement of your womanhood and how good or bad you were on a scale that existed kind of in your head, but also in a biological clock sense. Yeah. And the, the word that jumped out in that to me was womanhood. And it sounds like mm-hmm. um, as the years have gone on, the meaning of that has changed to you. Yeah. It kind of had this extra angle that I'd never really thought about. And you kind of just assume that you're all good because it's easier to think that, right? It's just easier to be like, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And until then, I'm just going to enjoy my life and, for want of a better term, stick my head in the sand, even though statistics show that I should be doing this now mm. rather than later. Well, having known you for nearly 15 years, I would observe that in your early years, your womanhood was about all the amazing things you could do with your life and the way you could express yourself and your intelligence Mm. and what you could do with your career and your life. But now it's the definition of how you're defining womanhood also has the fertility question in the equation, which it didn't before. Yeah, I think it felt really confronting because I was personally kind of inflamed by this primitive reduction of my worth because Mm. Exactly as you said with all of those things, I am my brain, I am my creativity, I I can have it all. And all of a sudden, you're going to sit me on this thing and tell me how my ovaries are doing in a blood test and men don't generally have to do this. How dare you? Like it was that kind of equality journey in my head that would yes. ping pong and go, how dare you? This is not fair. I, <sighs> this is hard. This is sad. And how dare women have to go through this? <laughs> Haven't so we now, done enough? Yeah. Absolutely. So now that you're on the other side of this particular journey and experience, where does yeah. all of that land with you? And what are you thinking? What are you thinking you'll do with the eggs? I'm going to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> that was unexpected. <laughs> what with? Um, I think I'm going to do like a pesto scrambled eggs this morning. <laughs> the Italian roots. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Mamma mia. Uh, so <laughs> how am I feeling? I'm, I'm feeling really, and just then, you know, when you, we talk about it, it sounds quite dramatic and confronting, but it's actually okay. And most of the time through my process, I really felt like, hell yeah, we're kicking the shit out of this and we're doing this. It's okay. Like you're you're gonna be you're going to get through it. You're all right. And I, now that I'm through it, I feel really proud, really 
I guess it's it's it would almost be like writing a thesis at uni, right? Where for a while it's your world and you're engulfed by it, and you can't really mm. you kind of wonder if you're going to see the end of it or if it's going to be any good. And then once you do it, you go, oh, I'm glad I did that. Well, that's just <laughs> sitting there, isn't it? Well, that's 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 going to help me a bit later, I think. Maybe, yeah. So I feel so proud that I don't have to have those thoughts swimming around of should I, shouldn't I what am I going to do? Like, it is a way to preserve your fertility that we can actually do that in Australia is surprisingly affordable. It's like this insurance peace of mind thing. I would love if I don't ever have to use those eggs. But for me, paying that money, getting it done and getting it out of my head is already worth it to not have to think and to not have to worry over this next year as to when I'm going to be able to conceive. Hopefully next time you see them, they're in the pesto. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, I've been meaning to ask you, do you want to come over for brunch? <laughs> no. uh, let's go out somewhere, I reckon. <laughs> That's Linda Mariano and you can get more of her story on her amazing um fascinating, well-produced podcast called Tough Love. Let's get more facts on the actual process now, though, with Dr. Peter Illingworth. He is the medical director of IVF Australia. And Peter, has there been a big increase in the number of women freezing their eggs? Yes, there has. There's been a steady growth that has continued over the last few years. We've seen about a 20% increase as opposed to last year. Wow. And a steady increase as the last few years have gone on. 20% in one year, that sounds huge. It is a big jump, yep. What do you put that down to? I think a couple of things. One, I think that the, the whole terrible COVID business of the last 18 months or so has uh, certainly influenced people's thinking about their future. Increasingly, I think women find themselves in a situation where they're getting into their early to mid-30s and are not finding themselves in the relationship that they want to be in and are thinking about the future as single women and perhaps taking other options to give themselves another chance of conceiving in the future, should they not meet the right person for them to build their lives with in the future. How much does this process cost? Just ballpark. Generally about seven to eight thousand dollars is the is the rough ballpark cost for doing one cycle of egg freezing. What are your chances of getting pregnant? Uh, overall, if you set out to have a family for the first time at the age of 40, you've only got about a 40% chance of having a baby naturally. Uh, whereas if you set out to have a family at the age of 30, you're about 90% likely to end up having a family. God, that's a big drop off. It is so a big drop. I think the major question I would put to somebody who's considering egg freezing is, what would you do if you don't meet the right person to share your life? If you don't meet the right person, would you use donated sperm, for example, and be a mum on your own? And if that's the case, you should think about that sooner rather than later. Or are you, is your view of the future of your life that you would only plan to have a family if you're in the right relationship with the right person to share your family with? And if that's the case, that then creating this extra backup makes far more sense. Bearing in mind that it is not an insurance policy, that it's not a guarantee, and if, you, if a woman does find herself in the position where she can have a family without using her eggs, her frozen eggs, then she should take that opportunity. That was Peter Illingworth, Medical Director of IVF Australia. And really interesting, Katrina, that he just said, 
it's not an insurance policy, but Linda Mariano said that to her it was. Yeah, look, and I guess he has to look at the statistics and he doesn't want to, I suppose, overinflate people's hopes in this process. But what really stuck out for me in this, Tom, is that you're really asking people in their 20s to crystal ball gaze and make huge decisions about their lives and spend money that they probably would prefer to spend (laughs) travelling. Yes, and therein lies the conundrum. It is all about the burden of choice. So you should definitely check out Linda's podcast if you're thinking about doing this yourself, but she's got some other amazing podcasts too. Yeah, so Linda has joined the Listener family, which we're a part of here at The Briefing as well. Um, Listener is this new awesome app where you can get a range of great shows. So um, it is the place to get Linda's um, two other new podcasts. She does a weekly music show called The Spin. If you know her from Triple J, she's right across new music and really strong on that stuff. And she's also co-hosting a podcast with Brooke Boney from Channel 9 called The Dream Club, where they talk about all the latest in culture and entertainment every week. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going to explain in detail consent. Listener.